Welcome to the Hillbilly and the Hipster. My name's Chad McCool, and join with me as always is my brother from another mother, Andy Crow. Andy, it's the greatest day of the year. Well, let me let me stop that. It's the second greatest day of the year. Resurrection Sunday is the greatest day of the year, and this is the second greatest day of the year. That's a good save on your part. I know. <laughs> happy, happy, happy day on this most holiest days of baseball. Welcome, That's right. Welcome to opening day. Both of our teams are on pace to to win 162 games. And, and if, uh, the, if the Mets were going to have an opening day, they did it in perfect Mets fashion by having the uh, new Jacob deGrom go out on injury. I was about to say, both of our starting pitchers left on injuries, so it's, it's that. But Well, ours didn't. Praise Jesus. Our starting pitcher did okay, but uh, tomorrow's starting pitcher went out on injury. Oh, I thought Verlander pitched today. No, Scherzer. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah, Scherzer's the number one. Pitcher left in like the fourth inning with a, <laughs> a hamstring. No, our, ours went on the IL before first pitch. That's fitting for the Mets, man. Yep. This is why we can't have nice things. But yeah, no, opening day, I was real excited. I got so excited that I told my boss that uh, I'll be watching the game even though I'm at work. And I might work while I'm doing it. I uh, I listened while I was in the office today, but I had a cohort that I'm a part of, so I I didn't really listen till the fourth or fifth inning. I actually paid attention in the cohort. Good for you, because I was yes. on a, I was on a staff meeting. <laughs> the difference is, I'm going to take my shot. I'm doing the Lord's work, and you're working for the government. But I'm done. a point. I am a state employee. <laughs> so, but no, uh, opening day is, there's a lot of excitement on opening day, which, which is cool because there's a lot of excitement right now because even though we know, we, <laughs> I know the ending, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement coming up with next Sunday being, being Easter. So, uh, but hold tight. We're going to talk about that. But yeah, no, opening day, um, some, you know, Travis Darno, the guy the Mets DFA'd, said he wasn't yeah. working. Um, went, went like four for five with a couple. Oh, yeah, of he, had a, he had a killer day. He let Sean Murphy know that he said, look at me. I am the catcher now. So just rocking the DH spot for us. Acuna getting getting some hits. Our bullpen just shutting it down. Well, so, you know, our, our bullpen San Sugar Diaz worked out well today. Ooh. So it's a Went Brendan there. Nimmo. Brendan Nimmo had a good day. Did he, see, I, I didn't pay attention to that. I try to avoid the Mets. I pay attention to the Mets when we play them so that I either know that I'm getting that one gift from you of a bloody Mr. Met. <laughs> I tweeted that picture one today. One of the two. <laughs> I tweeted the picture of the bloody Mr. Met when I found out about Verlander. <laughs> I swear, if people didn't know we were as close as we were, they'd think we'd hate each other with the way that we play baseball. I know. And soon to be football, you traitor. <laughs> well, well, the Jets now, I learned, uh, since the Sacramento Kings have made the NBA playoffs, the Jets are the uh, professional sports team with the longest playoff drought. Hold on, can you, years. can you rewind that? Did the Kings really make the playoffs? I, I saw a headline this morning that said, now that the Kings made the playoffs, the Jets have the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports. 12 years. I don't follow the NBA, so I didn't know that the Kings hadn't made the playoffs for a long time. I don't think they've made the playoffs since Weber left. However long that's been. I did enjoy watching Weber play back when they had the great white hope, Mike Bibby. (laughs) 
good teams. Anyway, anywho, yeah, I'm not a I'm not an NBA guy. I will tell you that some people in my office filled out brackets. I know how much you love those. Um, and we did the ESPN where you get so many points for each. Yeah. And uh, my bracket was shot. It oh was, yeah, like it was the worst bracket I've filled out in years. I scored 480 points. Right. To put that into perspective, I had more points than that on my women's bracket midway through the second round. Hmm. My whole entire men's bracket, 480 points, and I won. You won the office? Won the office one. Nice. I have people in my office who studied and are like, oh, I know what's going to happen. This is, oh, Crow, you're just an idiot. (sighs) Who's the idiot now, kid? That's right. Give me your money. Oh, we couldn't do money. We're a state employee. Oh, that's right. Bragging rights. And I will smack talk everyone now. I think sometimes bragging rights is the better victory than money. Oh, I do too. I think the funniest part is our secretary, who knows nothing about basketball, came in second. Nice. So it is the Thursday before Palm Sunday. Uh, while we're recording this, this will this episode will drop on Palm Sunday. So uh, I know I'm taking the I'm taking the cliche path this Sunday, and I'm I'm taking a break from the series that I've been going through in Daniel, and and I'm preaching a triumphal entry. Um, you know, do you know what uh, what you've got going on at your church this Sunday? You preaching a triumphal entry? Well, I mean, I know you're not preaching, but I'm not preaching. Uh, Your I pastor. Don't, I don't know what Connor's preaching. I know our Easter choir is really our uh, Palm Sunday choir. We're singing. But uh, no, I don't. I probably should. The bulletin will come out tomorrow. So okay. I'll know. I'll oh, you all get a sneak peek? Yeah, they send the bulletin out in the email uh, every Friday. So, But there's a, there's a big cleanup day on Friday. Or on Saturday, I'm not going to be able to go to it, but but yeah. So we've got we've got some things in the work. Pretty excited. So I I texted you something earlier, and I don't think you responded to me. I didn't see it, but I know that um, chance I didn't you, see it. My phone. You you uh you replaced me this past weekend and went to the Louisville Slugger Museum in Louisville, Kentucky, and. Sent me some pictures of you having a grand old time with some artifacts. And and I did text you that in about three weeks, I'm going to the Spurgeon Library in Kansas City, and I'm going to do the same to you. That's hurtful. That's Except hurtful. I'm going alone. Oh, we'll see. I don't have any friends. No, man. I tell you, that was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Like, I've been to the Slugger Museum uh, a few times, but we took a private tour. Um, and so at the end of the private tour, I got my own personalized, like, actual bat instead of just the mini bats. Um, so that's fun. But they took us in places in the factory that you don't go on the normal tour. Um, if you haven't guessed, like, my favorite team, the Atlanta Braves, right? Love the Braves. Um, the guy I went with, Drew, he's a huge Dodger fan, so we pray for his salvation. But... Uh, they took us into the vault and so we got to hold the bats um that like hank aaron would use and babe ruth and peewee reese and and all of them and then so when we were done there we went into this other room and the the throne that hank aaron sat on with all the bats and everything uh for some kind of i don't know for something i think it was for a photo shoot i think yeah, but uh, it was there, and so I got I I wouldn't sit in it because I was I'm a big dude, and I you know I don't want to sit in Hank Aaron's chair and then break it. Oh, that's been the best. Um, but I got to uh, we got to hold and look at Pee Wee Reese's contract that he signed with the Louisville Slugger Company. I got to hold and play with and swing a game used Brian McCann bat. Um, and so I love B Mac. He's he's good peep. Shout out B Mac. 
So, but no, it was, I was like a small child in a candy shop. The guy so next, like, next month gonna... I'll send you pictures of me looking at Spurgeon's cigar box and his desk and the books. I do. I, I, I do love Spurgeon. I love Spurgeon. But not as much as Brian McCann, apparently. Well, if you give me Charles Spurgeon's bat, I'll swing it around too. <laughs> Just play with what was given to me, buddy. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I was hurt when I went. So, but no, it was a good time. It was a good time. Highly, highly recommend it. If you do that tour, you do the the private backstage tour. Uh, Johnny, that's who you want. Shout out Johnny. Shout out Johnny. He uh just a wealth of knowledge. So he so I do have to say did wear my Spurgeon shirt. Right. And uh, he actually knew who it was. Oh wow. He was like, I never thought I'd see Spurgeon in a pair of sunglasses with a boom box. And I was like, I never thought I'd see somebody that knew who Spurgeon was. <laughs> uh I'm just thinking my my wicked mind was had you sat in Hank Aaron's throne and broke it, I would have loved Drew to snap a picture of it and then I would tweet it out with a hashtag for the A. <laughs> You're the worst kind of person. I am. I am the worst. <laughs> if it wasn't for Jesus, yeah. I, I am I am the worst. If not for Jesus, I'm destined for hell. <laughs> well, Andy, let's talk about someone who's not destined for hell and a uh, a maker of fine blacksmith merchandise. And blades. And blades. I saw that blade he uh, tweeted out today. That looked really good. Making, uh, making something for his wife. Smart man. And uh, Keith sent me a picture. I bought a friend of the show, Alex, a... Uh, Bottle opener, a, we, a railroad spike bottle opener looks sweet. I love Alex, man. He he's so salty that I don't like Star Wars, and it makes me yeah. Fun. He's he's not a fan. You're redeemed slightly because of Star Trek, but even though it is only the one iteration of Star Trek, the next generation. As long as Lieutenant Worf's in it, I'm good. Um, no, yeah, Saint Galgano's Armory, man. If you're looking for for some blacksmith items, things like hooks, bottle openers, knives, all of that stuff. Uh, give our guy Keith a look at St. Galvano's Armory. He, It's all handmade. It's forged in his shop. Uh, veteran, you know, locally owned here in Kentucky. And then proceeds to, to eat from each sale uh, every quarter. He sends it to a different charitable excuse me, charitable organization. So he, you know, he's given back to the community. Just an all around good guy. And you can check out his shop at etsy.com slash shop slash St. Galgano Armory. Uh, Galgano's G-A-L-G-A-N-O. And you can check him out on Twitter and Instagram at St. Galgano, right? Is it just St. Galgano or St. Galgano Armory? I should know that. Socials. I should know that too. I will say though, since since we're one upping each other, uh, here in a week or two, I'm going to forge my own knife with him. So I'll uh, we'll I'll tweet out some pictures of of me acting like a man. His Twitter is at Saint Gagano. It's Saint Gagano. Okay. So but yeah, that'll be the most manly thing I've ever done in my life. Because I don't <laughs> I don't hunt or. Do a lot, so that'll be fun. And I will just secretly sit in my room hating you. It's not a secret, man. We all know you do. <laughs> At least in that moment. No, I love you. Just in that moment, you'll be dead to me. I am uh, put it on the board. Just add it. <laughs> Bryce and I are going axe throwing. I'd be afraid to axe throw. Just because I've seen videos where they hit it wrong and it bounces back and I'm the idiot that's not going to pay it, attention. And it can bounce back. It bounce back and stick into my shin. <laughs> it can bounce back, but 
your first few throws, they'll bounce and they'll just they'll hit and bounce off. But then after a while, you get the groove going. They start sticking. I bought uh, for Chris. Well, I didn't buy. Santa brought it to me. Um, for youth group a few years ago, I got a Nerf axe throwing thing. That was pretty cool. Um, but then, as with so many other things in youth group, it stopped being a competition and started being, hey, let's see who can hit Walter in the head with this Nerf axe. <laughs> um, and just for the record, I can. <laughs> I can Walter in the head with a Nerf axe. <laughs> so uh, i think we're in the second half of holy week right second half yeah yeah i think we finished up on the the quiet wednesday and now we've we're we're rolling into to maundy thursday we Is are it that right? it's maundy right m-a-u-m-a-u-n-d-y it's that whole kentucky education thing my bad <laughs> maundy thursday Yes, so a lot, a, a lot happens on that Thursday. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's a it's a table set. A, like, like you can you can talk about the triumphal entry and all that stuff, but I think the table setter for what's about to happen happens on Thursday. I think that's what sets the table for the whole weekend. Yeah, and and Monday really is a a derivative of the Latin word for command. And it's really called that, right? Because, uh, you know, Jesus gives them a new command, gives us really a new commandment to to love one another um, the way that he, well, to his apostles, right? The, to love one another as as I have loved you and to us, right? To, for us to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Um, But I mean, there's three, there's definitely three things in particular, right? There's the, there's the, the foot washing, there's the supper. Um, you know, there's what goes, there's the betrayal. There's, you know, his agony in the garden. You know, there's again, his, uh, his promise of the Holy spirit that the Holy spirit will come and comfort them and, and, uh, dwell in them and teach them all the things and testify of Jesus and convict the world of sin. But, um, you know, when I think about that, the supper, right? And, he, you know, it was the Passover meal. And he sent Peter and John to set that all up. Although, <laughs> I always think of those two doing something together. It had to be a little bit of a competition, right? Oh, absolutely. When we think about the, you know, John always writing himself as the, the disciple that Jesus loved and beating Peter in the foot race to the tomb and all of that good stuff. But I think we talked about this a little bit last week, right? We know that, or the last episode, you know, when Jesus knows what's going to happen with Judas, and yet he washes Judas's feet and turns around and breaks bread with him. And I... You know, I've been thinking a lot this week, and I, I talked about it with my church last night at midweek. Like, what do you think's going through Jesus's mind? Like, you know, because if we look at the humanity side, what do you think's going through Jesus's mind through this? Right, the the shouts of Hosanna as he makes the entry, the the going in and seeing all the the nonsense at the temple. I mean, I don't. I don't want to say that Jesus was f ever frustrated. I think he, I think we can, I think we could see, we could read, this is really a, I don't want to say, I think we could see some, some of the stories in scripture where there was probably a, at times a sense of frustration, particularly with the, with the 12, um, whether or not he got frustrated. I mean, the Bible never says that. I um, mean, and, and, you know, and, and he was sinless, but I think if, if we saw any, frustration in him in his humanity it's this week right frustration at the temple frustration when he curses the fig tree um frustration in the garden when they're asleep and they can't even pray right oh absolutely no i i think 
I think really, yeah, I've been saying for years, like I would love to be able to read his mind. Mm -hmm. You you read scripture, and there are some clues, right? I mean, there are some clues that he's frustrated. He walks out and he's like, you idiots, why are you sleeping? Mm -hmm. Clues that, you know, when he looks at Judas and is like, do what you got to do. Um, I, you know, I just think if I know that's coming and I look at the guy that's going to do it and I say, do what you're going to do, there's going to be some fear, going to be some anger. And I just, you know, I think to myself, like, you know, and it's what we already know, like, man, well, he's a better man than I am. Well, obviously. But think about it. Let's, one of my favorite parts on Thursday is the washing of the feet. Yes. Right? I think it's one of the most overlooked parts of the story um, because it's so out of culture for us, right? We wear socks. Right, because we, right, we just think it's disgusting. And I, I hate feet. I yeah, hate and feet. it was disgusting back then because feet were filthier than they would be today. Absolutely. But I, I can remember a couple of years ago, like, trying to – talk to a group of middle schoolers and I maybe had one high schooler. There was there was 13 of us and sitting there and we didn't go upstairs into the youth room. We did it downstairs in the gym for ease, right? That way it wasn't on bean bags and stuff. And so I had them sitting in a line I was teaching and I kept telling them like, do you understand why this is happening? No, here's the context. Uh, and then as I, they were talking, well, why did he wash their feet? For a multitude of reasons, right? So they would have a servant, they would come out, they'd wash your feet so you would be clean for dinner. Because when, when we go to dinner, we sit at a table. They chilled on the ground. They had a picnic. Yeah, they, they lounged. They, they like the picnic basket. Um, and so, you know, I'm going through all that. And I think also, like, Jesus' blood washes us clean, right? And I think it's kind of a foreshadowing of that. And and it, it didn't click on how and I don't mean this is gonna this is gonna come across like I think I'm above what I am. I don't mean it that way. But you look at it through the eyes of middle schoolers, right? So they they come in to an event, they're told to take off their shoes and socks, they have no clue what's coming. Right. And so we're sitting there, we're talking about all this and about how Jesus was the last person that should have been washing someone's feet because he was he was the teacher, right? He was the leader. He somebody should be doing that. And then for me to to grab a wet rag out of a bowl of water and to kneel down as I'm teaching and, and wash my students' feet, I think it started clicking. Right? Because even though I'm not Jesus, I was kind of the leader of the group and and wasn't my job, right? It wasn't my job to wash their feet. It was my job to teach them. Mm -hmm. It was my job to to love them, to make sure that they were they felt loved and to teach them. It wasn't Jesus's job to wash their feet. But he humbled himself enough as an act of love and mercy and foreshadowing wash their feet. And I think well, there's power in that portion of the story. Oh, yeah. And you think about the contrast, right, to the beginning of his earthly ministry when John the Baptist basically says that he, that John, wasn't worthy to tie his sandals, mm -hmm. you know, to tie Jesus' sandals. And now here's Jesus, you know, kneeling before these guys, washing their feet. And I think about, you know, if you go into the gospel of Mark in Mark 14, um, you know, it seems like the Wednesday evening, the night before the, the Passover meal is when he's anointed at Bethany, you know, when he's in the house of Simon, the leper and, and the, the woman comes and puts the, the, perfume uh, the pure nard on them and um yeah, that's 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 oh no i'm in john no wonder i'm confused 
Yeah, I'm, it, I know. I was just I, I've been in Mark a lot through this through this season, so I know it's it's told in Mark as well, Mark fourteen, um, before the Passover, and you know, and then that's where, you know, they they start they start saying, well, you know, why has this perfume been wasted? Right, this perfume could have been sold for you know a good amount of money and given to the poor, and, and they and the disciples began to scold her, and Jesus, you know, he kind of rebukes them, right, and Mark. In verse six, he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. Um, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And he's right, right? We're still talking about this some 2000 years later. And that's always a sort of a, a weird statement that Jesus makes in verse seven, right? You always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. And it's true, right there. It, Jesus hasn't really been condescending or just been like, you know, well, there's always going to be poor people. And he, he's right. I mean, there's always going to be poor people. And, and so they could have at any given moment have been serving the poor and they weren't, they weren't definitely at that moment. They're immediately chastising someone who could have done something for the poor, but yet they weren't up. Well, they I weren't think, up and doing something. I think the ones that were really complaining about it, though, were maybe not the most upstanding of the group. No, that is correct, right? Mark doesn't really go, Mark doesn't name names. Mark except that know. he goes on in verse 10 that, you know, that Judas. Right, Judas then gets up and goes to the chief priest to betray Jesus, um, and then that's when the the chief priest decided to give him money, and uh, Judas started looking for a good opportunity to betray him, according to the the end of verse ten or verse eleven, rather. Yeah, so then you you take you go from that. From the foot washing to the supper, we spend a lot of time on the supper throughout the year. So I don't harp on the supper right now. But I think when they go to the garden, right? Well, even before the garden, right? Because before the gardens, when he predicts Peter's denial, oh, yeah, so they're yeah. not even at the garden, and Peter's been rebuked. And I, you know, and I, I do, I just say one thing about the supper that if. You know, I, I think sometimes we can take the Lord's Supper for granted and we take the Last Supper for granted. And I just know that, you know, on that night, Jesus instituted that to be kept in memory of him, right? To be kept in memory of his death that was to come, the suffering that was to come. And and like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, right, it was to proclaim his death, right? To proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again. And it's to, to keep him enshrined in the hearts of his disciples in the hearts of you me and every other believer till the end of time um and i just i think that we shouldn't lose sight of that and the importance of that you know and I, i'm not saying that we are necessarily but i do think sometimes um it just goes through oh this is part of the liturgy it's time for uh it's time for juice and crackers gold goldfish and apple juice yeah but before the garden, I mean that's that's huge, right? In in again, I'm at, I'm at Mark 14, but like when he tells, you know, he tells them, he says, "All of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee." Um, you know, and he is at the at the end, right? I mean, there's only one left. It's it's John and his mom, two left. You know, I mean, it's John and his mom, and. And when Peter tells him after that, uh, even if everyone falls away, I'm not, I, I, I'll still be here. And when he tells him, truly, I tell you, today, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then Peter keeps going on. If I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. And, and then they, the rest of them all started saying the same thing. And I'm like, that's something that I think is always brutal to me because I think Peter's just like, oh, what's he saying? I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to deny him. And. If there was ever a person that would get an award for the most times he stuck his foot in his mouth, yeah. Peter is that guy. He's about that life. 
Well, and it's it's interesting that, you know, <laughs> Jesus made Peter the the rock, right? Because the church, he, he started the church in the, the beginnings, because I do think that seems to be a a qualification for pastoral ministry. You have to have the knack to put your foot in your mouth. And uh <laughs> oh, I have too. I think if if uh if Peter's the king of it, then I am definitely in that court. Of putting my foot in my mouth. Yeah, I may I may not be the prince, but I'm definitely in the court. I saw it. You just made me think of something. I know this is completely rabbit hole, but I saw this meme. It's like it's somebody in bed, you know, they're asleep, and then it's their brain talking to them, and they're like, "If Charles Spurgeon's the prince of preachers, who's the king?" Oh, sweet Moses! <laughs> but then we go to the garden, right? I think Jesus. Uh, I think what Jesus says to them, they all probably kind of blow off a little bit, especially Peter, right? Peter doesn't think. He he's definitely not. He's gonna be there till the end, fighting the good fight. Um, but they're in the garden, right? They're in the garden of Gethsemane. And you know, he basically tells them what? Sit here while I pray. Sit <laughs> with me while I pray. And this is this is where I don't know if this is even right for me to do, or if this is the takeaway. Um, although now that I've said takeaway, I have a funny story that I'll tell you in a moment. Just don't let me forget. Um, but I see a lot of us, not necessarily me and you, but definitely me and you, right? In this story, because what's he want them to do? Pray with me, man. I just need you guys. I need your support. Pray with me. Yeah, you figure he, he keeps the group. He takes the inner circle, right? He takes Peter, James, and John with him, and then he he talks to them, and then he really, you know, tells them that he's uh, deeply grieved, uh, you know, to the point of death, and that he tells them to remain there and stay awake. So the the nine, he's like, y'all stay here and wait while I pray, and then you three, you know, the leadership, if you will, he's like, come with me, and what do they do? Stay here and stay awake. What do they do? They they go to sleep. And well, they so, just ate a meal. Right. No, I get it. <laughs> but but uh, if that's not us and our walk, oh yeah. Because Jesus is like, stay steadfast, fight the good fight, stay on the path, you know, call out what's wrong. And Lord knows in society today we don't do that. Um anyway. Um, you know, call out what's wrong, but do it with love, righteous anger. And what do we do? Ah, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this. But first, let me sleep on it. And so then we go and we take naps. And I say it time and time again, I'm for naps. Naps are great. Jesus took naps. We should probably do that too. But this isn't the time. Right. Right, this is the time that we need to be fervently praying. They needed to be fervently praying. They needed to be like just engulfed in in the moment, and they were instead engulfed in La La Land. And I think that is a representation of the church today. Maybe not all of it, but definitely the Western world. Definitely the churches that I see in in Western Kentucky, definitely, definitely the churches that we saw in Terre Haute. Mm. From our conversations, I'm guessing the churches out in Colorado were pretty similar. It Where I'm at, yeah, for sure. We're called to do X, Y, and Z, and it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. On, on what we're supposed to be doing and yet we fall asleep and it may not be a physical sleep but we're in la la land where we're you know affirming everything under the sun and we're not doing what we were directed to do in the way that we were directed to do it following the example of the one who is like the example of all examples like the mega cheat sheet 
for your final in college. And yet we're going to we're going to sleep through that. And three times, I mean, you're you're rebuked at least twice in the Gospel of Mark, right? And um, this, what's that? Shame on us! Oh yeah, no, and and you know, you made me think about something when we think about this week in particular with churches, and and, and don't get me wrong, like I, I'm down for an Easter egg hunt. I think it's fun to watch little kids. If God bless you and bless your church, if if you have a a good thriving children's ministry and you've got young families and and you have the, the, you know, the way to put on a, a, a really good Easter egg hunt. I think when I, the church I pastored in, in West central Indiana, right. We had about three acres that we sat on. We had a crazy Easter egg hunt. I mean, there was like some point that July, we were still running over eggs with the zero turn because they still didn't get found. <laughs> um, at, at first southern one year because we had some mega and there was one year we had to do it inside because of the weather and it was two or three months later in the in the back of the pew where the hymnal should be was one of the prize easter eggs <laughs> it was like the golden ticket so you got the big prize yeah took it to the children's ministry me being the youth minister i was like hey i found this in the pew do i get the prize and then I just went home sad because I didn't get the prize. You were ineligible. I was, yeah. So, but I, I mean, I think those are good things. Um, but do we fall asleep during this week because we want to draw big crowds? Um, you know, we want we want the bodies in. We're gonna we're gonna complain all year about the Christmas and Easter folks who show up, but God bless them. They come twice a year, you know, and we're, we're complaining about them, but now we really want them. So we're going to lure them in with prizes and giveaways and toys. And so are you giving them Jesus? Right. And and I think about, I know this is kind of a twist, but it's the same thing. Like Jesus is basically telling them, you know, you can't stay awake for an hour and it's like, you know, on on through Resurrection Sunday, right, on Easter Sunday, we can't give them the gospel without giving them a gift bag or an Xbox. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> How sad I missed that. Uh, no, I, I get it. But I think, so I think some leadership in most churches, they just want butts in the seats. They want to be able to say they broke a record. Sure. And there's, there's other leadership that recognizes the gravity of the moment, right? Like, we're going to have more people in our building this Sunday than we will any other Sunday of the year, maybe Mother's Day. Absolutely. Right? And it's important. Christmas, Mother's Day, you know, you got the the priesters and moms, right? Because everybody goes to church with mom. Nobody cares about dad. Oh, Mother's Day. That's right. Uh, but moms, man, we got to go to church with mama. Um, and I get that, right? It, I, I get it. I, I don't, but I do. But anyway, and so we recognize the gravity, and we just we want to love them, right? We want to we want to give them the gospel. We want to love them. We want to make sure that they feel comfortable and heard, but that they also heard an accurate portrayal of the gospel, because we know of churches that aren't giving an accurate portrayal of the gospel. Well, I think we've both been, you know, at, at some point in our ministries and our times at churches, right? For sometimes churches that I've been on staff at as an associate or as a member of, right? Easter Sunday became shtick day. It mm -hmm. was skits, shows. And and are we are we falling asleep by giving them trash instead of waking up and giving them the gospel? I think absolutely we are. And I think I don't know what it's going to take to wake us up. I honestly I don't because my yeah I don't know I I think we've taken the Benadryl. Yeah, no, I do because my generation we don't want a lot of fluff, right? We we want to have fun, we want to laugh and carry on, but we want authentic authenticity. Evidently, I don't want it because I can't say it, but <laughs> most of my generation want that authentic experience right we don't want production and play 
and and loud music and uh, I, I giggle because one of the churches, one of the bigger churches in the uh, Terre Haute area, um, their pastor said, you know, we're coming after the millennials. Uh, so if loud music offends you, turn your hearing aids down. Yeah, I, I was on staff at a, a church that used a similar. We turned it up to 11. <laughs> I just giggle. And I'm like, that's not what millennials want. No, they want authenticity. You know, I just want... To, to feel like I'm a part of a family. Plus, can we just say this, right? Millennials are middle-aged now. Or they're approaching. They're fast approaching middle age. Shut your mouth, sir. I mean, mid- millennials are pushing 40. I, mm, look, so Dr. Wife had a birthday this year, and she handled it really well, right? Like I'm not a rock say, star. I'm not going to take Dr. Wife's age. I'm not that stupid. Um. I had a birthday this year, and I turned 38. And I thought, man, I'm going to rock this year. And so I used to not get cold. Like, I'd play out in the snow. I'd go outside in the snow in shorts. Uh, and all of a sudden, at like 37, 38 now, like, I can't handle the cold anymore. <laughs> the arthritis that I had every so often is way more prominent. And I'm like, I got two more years, and I'm I'm that age that I don't want to be. The ironic thing is, like, I think I'm my grandparents' age when I was born. Okay. Think somewhere like pretty close, right? I, I think, give or take, either direction. I can't. I, math is hard, but I'm right around the age now that I was when or my grandparents were when I was born. And so looking at it from that perspective has messed me up. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the Golden Girls were supposed to be 50. Oh, God, that makes me feel so... You know, this is why we don't talk as much anymore, Chadwick. Well, times have changed. You know, but it's true. Like, you want authenticity. And I think regardless of generation, I think we want authenticity right i mean i i mean i i definitely am a product of the young restless and reformed movement and now that seems to be that all those major players in the young restless and reformed are now middle-aged and deconstructed um you know and, and some of them have gone off the rails but yeah, I, I mean, I, all I've ever wanted is is just that authenticity as well. Like, I I don't, I don't want the, I don't as a church member, as a church goer, I don't want the fluff, and I don't want helicopter Easter egg drops, and I don't want the Easter bunny hopping around the sanctuary on a Sunday, and I don't want to see disguises and games and skits and no sermon. Um, I I really want the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, then, oh, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not going. No, I was just going to say I, I'm expecting the criticism as my first Easter in this church that I'm pastoring that there won't be fluff and skits and costumes and Easter well, here, I'll help you out. I'll call you Easter Sunday and tell you how bad you did. Okay, you can watch and let me know. I didn't say I was going to watch. <laughs> oh, so you're gonna be just like church members. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just you want authentic. <laughs> oh, I love you. Give me the authentic reaction. I love you. But then then this thing happens, right? At the uh in the garden, and we're gonna for time's sake, we're gonna speed up a little bit. Um, you know, Judas leads leads them right to him. Uh, and I, he gives him the kiss on the cheek, and, and they come and get him. And I remember doing a play when I was a kid at my uh, sister's grandparents' church where, like, it was a whole trial, and we were on the jury. And I was like, why wouldn't we just find him innocent? Right? We like, <laughs> nobody wants Jesus dead. That seems pretty brutal, the way they treated him. Why don't we just find him innocent? And then, you know, her grandma was like, 
because that's not how it went. And I just remembered that's when it hit me, like, oh, this crap's real. Like, this man literally did all this good, and because he did so much good and made people question the status quo, that one of his best friends sold him out for a few pieces of silver. Yeah. And then, then... And while his I'm, other one, his other one just denies his, he's even, just denies him. Well, and even with that, like, Jesus has preached this turn the other cheek, and hey, let's, let's, let's do something a little different. Let's not be like them. And then what is, what does Peter do at the first sign of inconvenience? I'm about to lop his dude's ear off. Yep. And, you know, in Mark's gospel, in in uh, verse 48 of 14, I, I do like this, what Jesus says. Jesus says to them, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Right? Like all of a sudden they had a, every golden opportunity to lock them up and they come and make this big show with soldiers and well, let's swords talk about and that. clubs. Yeah. It was a kangaroo court, if there ever was one. They had no charges, really, to hold it on. This was all done, like, court wasn't allowed. So let's fast forward, right? So they go through all this. He puts the ear back on the dude. They take him in the cloak of night, and they do this makeshift trial, okay? They broke so many of their own laws while doing this. You weren't supposed to, like, trials are supposed to be in front of people during the daytime. Like, court wasn't done at night. And so here we are in the overnight hours, and they're sneaking him in through town, breaking the laws that they claim to be so high and mighty about, just to get what they want. Yeah, and they, they charge him with uh, violating the Sabbath law, um, threatening to destroy the temple. Um, practicing practicing sorcery that's one of the crimes he's convicted of is sorcery um exercising people by the power of demons so that goes hand in hand with the sorcery and his claims to be the messiah those are his actual charges so they, if I'm not they mistaken find him, they find him guilty on a make-believe trial right if i'm going to quote quote the great theologian reva mcintyre yeah <laughs> The judge said guilty on a make-believe trial. Slapped the sheriff on the back with a smile, right? So they, <laughs> I love Reba, but they they then take him, you know, to the to to Pilate, and then there's Claudia, right? Claudia, who's not mentioned really by name, no, uh, and is mentioned in like one or two verses where she's like, "Yo, Pilate, listen." Um, I had some dreams. Let him go. Don't and Claudia do being Pilate's wife. Right, yeah. Sorry. Daughter of daughter of Caesar. But like, hey, we gotta let him go. Don't be doing this. And you fast forward to now, Claudia is saying it, I think, in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, if I'm not mistaken. Because of her attempt to try to save Jesus. But then on the other hand, there are people that believe that Claudia worked with the devil. Yes. Because if they didn't hold Jesus accountable for this, then we have no we have no justification. We have no no uh, uh atonement for our sins, to use a term that people don't like. Um, right, because uh nobody likes the penal substitutionary atonement anymore. It's not a thing, evidently, even though that is the gospel. But I digress, right? So Claudia, depending on who you talk to in the world, is either a saint or a demon, right? And so, and Pilate, he's got some stuff politically going on. Like he's, yes. He's on the brink of losing some power. And I don't know if you've ever known somebody to have some power. They never want to give that up. No, like, power power corrupts. No, it's like you're Rick rolling everybody. Never going to give it up. So, 
you know, he's trying to distress and figure out. And so he comes up with the solution that, okay, I get to let it, I get to let somebody go. So he talks to Jesus and he's like, Hey, this you. And Jesus is like, you tell me, right? Like, who do you, what do you say? So he takes Jesus to the people and he's like, Hey, I'm going to let, I get to let one person go. You pick. We can let Barabbas, who is, <laughs> and I know that if you have a reformed view, um, we're all scum. We've covered this, but like the scum of the scum. Or we can let Jesus go, who's just really pissed some higher ups off. Right. And politically, right, you depending on which side of the aisle you're on, Barabbas is a terrorist or a freedom fighter. Right. You know, and to those who wanted a earthly uh, Messiah, right, who's one who's going to destroy Rome, Barabbas got stuff done. You know, he was probably, uh, you know, reminiscent of the Zealot uprising. Um, I'm sure the the murder charges against Barabbas were probably that of a Roman soldier, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or, or some kind of somebody tied to that. And so, you know, for those folks, the ones yelling crucify him, well, Barabbas was gonna, he's gonna get some stuff done for them. Oh, so they thought. And so, and I think, I think the way it happened legitimately shook Pilate. Right? I really think that in his head, he thought, if I do this, they're gonna let Jesus go. Absolutely. And then he's perplexed and he's like, I can't be a part of this. Do what you do. I'm going to wash my hands of it. His blood's on you. Right? And so then they take him out um, to be flogged. You know, um, my friend David Pitney. Do you know David Pitney? I do. So he does. I don't know if David knows me, but I know David. So he he does this excellent um, demonstration that goes through the, the trial and the flogging, and the crucifixion. I had him do it for my youth group one time. Um, he has an actual cat of nine tails that he had made for this. Oh, wow. And I've seen him do it two different ways. Once with a watermelon, because that flesh will, will rip like ours will. Um, and then once on just a board with ketchup packets. Um, but he did it for my youth group, and it really opened the eyes of, you know, I don't re- I don't remember the exact number, but there's a certain number of flogs that you would get that would that would kill you. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, forty. So forty lashes was what would would bring upon death. Yeah, and so they they gave Jesus thirty nine essentially. Yeah. Um, but he, I mean, they took it to the extreme. You know, nothing- well, and that had like pieces of glass embedded in it like it was terrible it was excruciating and he was he was beaten and and just ravished beyond recognition right you have to you have to you know there's chunks of flesh hanging off the sure amount of torture and just anguish that he's going through and keep in mind, it's not just the physical pain that he's carrying right now. There's some emotional toil going on, too, because he knows that his friends are about to betray him, but he also knows that they're there watching this. He knows that his mother is there watching this. So not only is he dealing with his pain and his anguish and his torture and his just frustration with it, you know, he's heartbroken and distraught because his mother is watching this happen right his friends the people that he's closest to in this world are watching this and so then you have the the long walk if you will where he he carries his cross uh are you a are you a beamer or are you a full-on cross what is your thought um, you know, I, I know historically they, they let them carry the beam per se. I've I've heard that, but um I I I think that they made a special case for him and he carried the full on cross. Okay. See, I'm a beamer. 
Um, I, I think that it carried the bean. But regardless, being full on cross, whatever, it was heavy. Right? And so you've just gone through the beating of your life. You've got this long walk up a hill in front of everybody. People are spitting at you. You know, you've had your clothes ripped off of you. You've had this, you know, this these thorns shoved in you and you're you're walking up this hill. And every time you fall, this guy's whipping you because you've fallen. Right? And so you're making this trip up and finally you just complete exhaustion, you, you lose it. And this poor guy, Simon, Simon the Cyrene, who's there for the festival, he's not there for all of this. And and he gets chosen to carry the cross, and he doesn't want to do it for multitudes of reasons. One, if he gets this man's blood on him, he's unclean, can't participate in the ceremony. Right? He probably made a special trip for the ceremonies. But really, that in that moment was one of the, the biggest turning points in his life and his family's life. Right? The story that he had that then passed on the people in the area that he lived in as he hiked up this trail to Golgotha with a guy that he may or may not have known of. And then from there, you know, we know the story where he was, was his shoulder was dislocated and he was stretched out and he was nailed hands and feet to this, this cross. And as they raised him up, uh, the crucifixion, it wasn't made to kill you because of the, the pain, right? They knew the spikes in the hand and feet weren't going to kill you. But it's a, it's a slow fade. It's suffocating. Right, because you're you're waiting for every time you breathe in, you know your lungs are going to start filling with blood and all of that, and so you eventually suffocate because you can't breathe. Right, you just you can't physically do it, and then they break your ankles where you're lifting yourself up, so you suffocate to death. Although Jesus, that's not what happened, right? So they offer him the drink. He refuses. All the we you know, the weather change happens, the, the earthquake, the, the lights go out essentially. Everybody the freaks out. The veil's torn. Yeah, the veil's torn. Everybody freaks out and so they stab him, right? And he just he's he's he, it is finished. Um one of my favorite things about the cross story though are the two thieves that are with him. You know, the one guy's mocking him and the other's like, No, no, what do, like we deserve this. He doesn't, you know, and he asked Jesus to remember him when he's in heaven. And Jesus is like, bro, you're coming with me. Right. I think that is the message version, but that, <laughs> that is what it is. I don't know if Eugene Peterson wrote it exactly like that, but the intent was there. Um. So, you know, and then, you know, the fails torn, everybody freaks out. They stab him. He's gone. And at that point, if we stop right there, all hope is gone. Right? The disciples, they followed this man for years. They've listened to his teachings. They've waited on this Messiah. They were convinced it was Jesus. And now they see his broken, beaten body. And they're gone. And Yeah, and they scatter. They scatter I mean, like they don't even see it. Only one of them really sees it that we know of. Right. They're already gone. They're gone by the trial. But they, you know, they he's dead. He's he's gone. And what hope? His mother, what hope does Mary have? Mary Magdalene, what hope does she have? So then a couple people they come together, they get the by you know. We're going to use the term borrow. They borrow this tomb. They put this shroud on him and they bury him. And then they roll this giant stone in front of it. Out of fear because they're like, yo, they were talking about him 
beating death. And so what if they steal the body and then it causes this insurrection? You know, we can't have a January 6th going on here. And so they put guards outside the rock. Um, and he's dead. And there's absolutely no hope. Except for in the phrase, it's Friday. Right? All of this has happened, and it's only Friday. And the awesome part of that is Sunday's coming. Amen. Right. He he lays in the tomb for three days and then it, it, it happens. You know, they're they're running, they're they're coming to, to anoint his body on on resurrection Sunday, but they don't even know that it's resurrection Sunday. But they're coming to anoint his body with spices per custom. And the stone is rolled away and the sheets and, and, and that he is wrapped in is folded all nicely like a good guest would do in somebody else's bed. Uh, and, and, you know, where where is he? They're all freaking out. And the angel says, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And that's when the party happens. And we keep doing that today, don't we? Oh, absolutely. And, and the glorious part about this you know, we talk about it a lot this time of year, Good Friday to Easter, right? Resurrection Sunday, we all get excited. But the glorious part about it is, is that every day that we wake up, we can celebrate a risen Savior. Oh, yeah. Every day is Resurrection Day. Every day that we wake up and put our feet on the floor is a day that we know that we serve a living God, that we serve a loving God, and that you look at all the other religions— we're the only one that can say that our our Messiah isn't laying in a tomb. Right. Muhammad's grave is full. Siddhartha's grave is full. Whatever. I don't know. Any other. You know, I, I when I, I lived in, in a spot in New York City where an Orthodox Jewish community believed their rabbi was the Messiah, his grave is full. Um, the tomb is still empty. And Not, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He, he said he, he was going to prepare a place. And when it's done, he's coming back for us. And so while we celebrate the resurrection, um, we also realize that it's with hopeful anticipation that we wait on his return. Amen. Celebrate the resurrection so that we have hope to look forward to his return. Amen. And if that doesn't get you excited from the beginning of the week until Resurrection Day, all the events, one led to the other, led to the other, led to the other, led to Jesus standing victorious over death and sin and Satan. I don't know what else you can get excited about. Like I was super excited today about Braves baseball. Yeah, but it doesn't compare. A few months ago, I was super excited for Northern Iowa basketball and football, right? Because that's those are my boys and girls. But the excitement level that I have for that, and so I when the Braves won the World Series in twenty one, I went and woke both my boys up. And they came out in the last out of the World Series. They came and they were both sitting on my lap. And I can remember sobbing. Because I was just overcome with joy because my team won the World Series. And I got to share this moment with my children. Right? And I think that that moment is one of the coolest moments as a dad that I've had. And it doesn't compare anything to the excitement and anticipation that I have to what is represented on Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Well, Andy, you, uh, I started thinking about some stuff, but we could save it for another episode because I think that's a good word. You want to end it on a light note? 
Amen. Go I mean, so, so um, I want to go back to the triumphant entry, right? Um, I was teaching on that. You, you know what time hop is? The app yeah. on your so Yeah, I, I, you send me pictures from it. That's how I know about it. So one, a status came up, and I believe it was from last year. I was teaching on the triumphant entry in children's church. And, uh, you know, I've just gone through everything. And I was like, all right, guys, what's the take home from this story? Oh, I remember this. My my now nine-year-old, I think he, he was seven or eight. So it was either this year, or this past year or the year before. Um, and he raises his hand and I'm like, preacher's kid. All right. What you got, big man? And he goes, uh, that paper in your hand? Yeah. And I, Smart Ellie. And then this other kid goes, No, no, that's not it. He's a third grader. And I'm like, Yep, here we go. What do you got? And he looks me dead in the face and goes, Jesus rode into town on a stolen donkey, and that's how cool he is. <laughs> and I said, I don't know why I have a job. <laughs> well, I think that's the last word, Jesus. Rode into town on a stolen donkey, and that's how cool he is. Right. Out of the mouth of babes. Good night. Well, Andy, if uh how can folks reach out to us or you can uh they can touch base with us about their their thoughts about Maundy Thursday and the rest of Holy Week? Yeah, no, how can they reach out to us? You can hit us up on the Twitter. It is at Hill Hipster Pod. Or you can hit us up at Gmail at hillhipsterpod at gmail.com. You know, if you yes. have on on Holy Week in itself, uh, if there's a part of Holy Week that really hits home and just tugs at those strings, you know, we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to know um, if you're doing anything special to celebrate Holy Week, whether it's, you know, I know there are some families that do specific things or, you know, churches do specific things. So if you're doing any of those, we, we'd love to hear it. And and our encouragement to you is, I don't care how long it's been since you've stepped foot inside a church or whatever it is, fi find a local church to go to. Um, Go this Sunday, go Palm Sunday, but definitely find a local church to go to an Easter Sunday. Um, be fed, be blessed, hear the gospel and uh, repent and believe and, and, Turn your eyes to Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And that that eternal life, that that fullness of life with Jesus begins today. And that's the tweet. That's it. That's All right, Andy. Well, God bless you. Till next time. Have a good week, and we will see you guys soon. Be blessed. Let's go Mets.